guys. Welcome to Large Group. No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you've done, this fire is so hot. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, <clears throat> no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, we want you to feel welcome in RUF. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. We're one of the many campus ministries here walking alongside you during your time at Wofford to help you grow in your faith. And more fundamentally, um, we're a people bound by the reality that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God loves us. And so, of course, we're trying to figure out what it looks like for us to love God and love our neighbors, but we're trying to figure out what it looks like for us to sink into the reality that God loves us in Jesus. And we're continuing this series this fall where we've been asking the question, who is Jesus for us? Christ for us is our series. We've seen that Jesus is our joy when he turned water into wine, that Jesus is our shepherd when he fed 5,000 people. He's our peace when he calmed the storm tonight. We're going to see that Christ is our path. Christ is our path. Okay, so I was thinking about this passage, and I started thinking about several conversations that I've had with people who are authority figures in my life and also people that have been influential to me. And so these could be pastors, my dad, uh, a faculty advisor that's trying to figure out what I should do with my maid, like a coach. I'm sitting down with them and I'm wanting them to guide me. I'm wanting them to give me a path. I'm essentially asking with all the anxiety that I had in those moments throughout my life, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And I know that's a question uh, that resonates with you all as you're in this formative years at Wofford College, where in many ways you're like figuring out and discerning what it is you're going to do after Wofford College. Like in many ways, that is the question in college. What am I supposed to do with my life? It's also a question when you're 32 years old and you are now finding yourself as a dad. What in the world do I do? When you get married, how in the world do I do this? When you start your job post-Wofford, how in the world do I manage my time and my energy and my resources? Tell me what to do. I need help. I need a path. Jesus, with abundant clarity tonight in this passage we're going to look like, says, I'm your path. I'm your path. And he gives us that path as he's the master as we follow him. He gives us this map, this path, but it's a path that we never would have imagined ourselves. We would never dream this path up for ourselves, and we'll see why. I also hope that we see that it's also a path that like, is so much better than anything we could imagine or dream up. Let's read the passage and walk through it. This is God's word. He has spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow, but because he loves us. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me pray. Lord, <clears throat> thank you for your word. We know it's living and active, and we've experienced that this, this semester as we've opened your scriptures and you have taught us who you are, that you are our joy and our peace and our shepherd and our healer. And we really want you to show us that you are our path, that you actually are trustworthy as a guide, as a teacher, and as a friend. And Lord, if I say anything tonight in this sermon that is unhelpful, not in accordance with your word, um, please block it out of our minds. But if anything lands with us that is accordance with your word, help it to materialize in our life. To, we would trust your word and do it as well. Christ's name, amen. All right, two, two words are going to help us manage our time. You see that. The game plan is this, winning and losing. Winning, losing. Let's do the first one, winning. Everyone had a plan for Jesus' life. Everybody did. Um, I mean, Jeff, come on, bro. You're just, you're just crushing it. Okay, I love you, dude. Um, um, <clears throat> while I was praying and I heard all that in the background, I was like, what is happening right now? Um, okay, winning. Everybody had a plan for Jesus' life. In the first century, people had messianic expectations. That is to say that people had expectations for who Jesus was supposed to be, how he was supposed to act, and how he was to carry himself. And the main thrust of everything and the theme that everyone agreed on of what they longed for and expected from Jesus was a military Messiah. A Messiah who would come in and rescue God's people from Roman rule with a sword, with force. A Messiah who would win. That's who they were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah who would win. And so if you were a disciple of Jesus, think about this. You're walking around him for as long as his ministry took place, I mean, these guys rode with him everywhere that he went. They saw him. They saw water into wine. They were on the boat with him when he called the, calmed the storm. They are buying in with Jesus. This is the Messiah. But then he starts talking about losing. And they didn't like that because they didn't expect it. And you have the boldness of Peter. We have to love Peter. They're walking together. And, and Peter undoubtedly is expecting Jesus to unpack his Messiah salvation plan for winning. But that's not what Jesus does. Look at verse 31 again. This is what he does. He starts talking about losing. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's another title for Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Suffering, rejection. No one saw this coming. One pastor puts it this way. Peter wants victory. Jesus says defeat. Peter wants happiness. Jesus says suffering. Peter wants fame, approval, power. Jesus says rejection. Peter wants life. Jesus says death. No one expected this. No one expected this because everyone had a plan for the Messiah. And it was a military 
forceful Messiah, not one who would die a state-sponsored execution like an animal. No one expected that. God doesn't die on a cross. We'll walk through that in a second, but no one saw it coming. So Phil Jackson was the coach of all the 90s Bulls teams that Jordan was on, all six championships, goes on to be the coach of the Laker teams with, with Kobe. And one of, if not, Phil Jackson's primary nicknames, sports fans will know this, is what? The Zen Master. The Zen Master. Because Phil Jackson, when he would come in, rather than giving them the traditional conditioning exercises and game film sorts of practices and rituals, he would have them do yoga exercises together. It's like, no, we're not going to like, you know, watch film. We're going to do yoga together. We're going to bring this yoga and start this true story. He would do this often. And so Jordan and Pippen and Shaq and Kobe are expecting a certain kind of coaching style and ethos. Phil Jackson comes in and they don't know what to do with it. They have no idea. They're like, uh, why are we doing breathing exercises right now? Like we just lost to we we lost by twenty last game, and you want us to do breathing and mindfulness? What is going on? No one expected this. And like Peter, if we're honest with ourselves, we want. I mean, I, honestly, I resonate with Peter. Peter's so encouragingly disappointing, isn't he? Um, welcome to the club if you're struggling with Jesus. Um, he wanted a life of comfort and security and pleasure just like us. A life of winning, of a life that we want what we want on our own terms and our own way and our own timing. That was the thing for Jesus. They didn't like the way that he did things and they didn't like the style and his timing. They wanted their own terms. And so do we. So do I. Life on our own terms. I want you to think about some of the language and vocabulary because language and vocabulary that we use in everyday life is formative. It shapes our minds and imaginations. Think of some of the terms that we use, and they're not all bad, but I'm going to list a few of them, and I want us to think through some of the spiritual implications these terms have on us. My goal, quote, my goal is to find myself. We said this. My goal this semester is to find this or that fraternity or sorority, that or this friend group, this or that organization that can help me be the best version of myself. We, have we said this? I really want to find this one school or this one job that will help me really actualize who I really am at my core. Some of that language, all that, that's actually fine. But you don't really need Jesus to talk that way. And I think that's my point. Flourishing, happiness, joy, comfort, pleasure, devoid of Jesus. Your terms, your timing, your style, your mode. And I have my versions of this that I woke up with today. Now, what ends up happening, I think, when, those, when that kind of mindset seeps into our biblical imaginations and into our relationship with God, Jesus goes from being Savior to life coach and buddy to help us get what we want. He becomes a life coach and buddy that his primary purpose in his, his life and mine is to get me what I want when I want it. 
It's a subtle thing, but it does happen over time. And I just want us to get honest about that, not to shame you or me, because I'm there like tonight. I'm impatient right now with him because of his timing. And I'm frustrated with him because he's calling me to bear up a cross and deny myself in ways that I don't want to. So I'm there with you. I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying we have our versions of our own timing and expectations for what kind of savior we want him to be. Okay. What happens if we're honest, our version of winning ends up being losing. And you know this. Our version of winning ends up being losing when we give ourselves over to pleasure and security and success. Those are fine things when they become ultimate things and we give our bodies, give our resources, give our time over to these things at all costs. What becomes winning actually ends up being losing. I remember my freshman year, I started undergrad at Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And I've told this story to some of you guys, but I was my freshman year. This is one of the first Nick Saban Alabama football teams. Okay. And so I'm freshman year, 50-yard line seats. It was like Florida or Tennessee, I can't remember, but it was a big game. And me and my college roommates are all in the same row. And in front of us, there are these guys that are between 45 and 50. And they, like, the epitome of, like, Alabama frat star, who is, like, still 45 years old and still dressing the same way, talking the same way, drinking the same beer, talking about the same music, that's the five guys, okay? You got it? There they are. And I'm just like, what is happening? And so we so you know when you're at games and you're cheering and you become friends with all these drunk frat people around you, right? Just kidding. But not really. This is actually what happened. We're high fiving and they're getting more and more hammered and we're just like, you know, we're just kind of going with it. So it's halftime. And this one guy, you know, he and I really clicked in conversation. <laughs> this one guy zooms in on me and he was like, What's your name, son? You know, just zooms in, and I'm just like, oh, my Lord. And he starts talking about the glory days of T-Town and what life in T-Town was like for him and those friends. that are, Those were his, his brothers in the fraternity. So they're all there, and they're talking about the glory days. And you can imagine what the glory days were, okay? I'm, I'm going to spare you of some really, um, you know, gory and juicy details um, but we keep going and he zooms in on me and he's like what I wouldn't give to go back <laughs> and I was like this is so creepy and I was like um, okay but you mentioned your wife and you have a few kids and you're a CPA in Birmingham and things seem to be going okay for you like really seriously it sounds like a really good life and he looks around, he looks at me, I'll never forget this. He zooms in like I've never had someone make eye contact like this with me. And he looks around, Bryant-Denny Stadium is the name of Alabama Stadium. He goes, Matt, son, Bryant-Denny. He looks around and he goes, this is my home. <laughs> and I said, okay, I said, roll tide. Okay, I, what, what becomes winning for us, needless to say, is losing, is losing. I, wasn't, I became a Christian my freshman year of college. I was not a Christian then. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so superficial. 
And y'all, much of my freshman year was those glory days that he lived in. And some of y'all know that of my story. And I was just like, this was so exhausting to listen to. Um, And hilarious, but exhausting. Uh, Because it was losing, but it was a version of winning for him, of success for him, of joy for him. And it was a life that was actually not just devoid of Jesus, but was devoid of his family and devoid of any joy in his calling as a CPA in this amazing city called Birmingham. None of that was mentioned. This is my home, he said. Love that story. What becomes winning for us, we all know. And I, look, we're going to go to losing in a second. Um, but before we do, I just, I just want to say, some of y'all know what it's like to give yourselves over to these versions of the good life, whatever that is, this versions, version of upward mobility and success and resume building, or just like escapism at all costs. Just numb yourself to death. You know what it feels like to lose and that it's actually losing. The easiest part is giving yourself away. And eventually, we're face down. Some of y'all know that. Let's go to the second one. Losing. What, what path does Jesus have for us? It's better. Um, it, it's certainly better. It's a, first, it's a life of self-denial. We're going to see it's a life of self-denial, then it's a life of bearing a cross. Self-denial first, though. Self-denial. Now, John Calvin... Um, once said that the whole of the Christian life can be summarized by self-denial. The whole of the Christian life. If anyone starts a sentence like that, the whole of the Christian life can be summarized by blank. Listen to that sentence. And he says, self-denial. In verse 34, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, forever would lose his life, or save his life, got to lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to truly be yourself, the best version of yourself, lose yourself. Deny yourself. It's bizarre. It is completely upside down. If you want to be yourself, you have to deny yourself. But I do want to be specific here. What exactly about us do we deny? You don't deny everything about yourself. God has made you. You're an image bearer of God. Every single one of you are made in God's image with unbelievable glory just by being you. By your voice and your skin and hair and personality. Glory, image bearer of God. But what are we supposed to deny? We're supposed to deny anything and everything that wants to live life as if we're the Lord's. As if we are Lord and master of life. The New Testament simply just calls, the catch-all phrase for this is just called the flesh. That's Paul says it all the time. The flesh is the catch-all term for life as if you are the master. That's what we are to deny. And it actually means that we have to say no. Christian life means we say no. That's denying ourselves. It's saying no to a way of living on our own terms. It's a way of saying no to winning. Saying no to winning. Frederick Dale Bruner says this. I I love this. Listen to this. Self-denial is not so much giving up chocolate for Lent as as it is giving up on ourselves as lords. I want you all to feel the difference. Chocolate for Lent 
or giving up yourself as Savior and Lord. That's the difference we're talking about. Now, giving up on yourself as Savior and Lord might you know, result in giving up things for Lent. That's, I'm not, this is not a Lent statement, but you get the point. Self-denial is not an occasional, I want you all to hear this, it is not an occasional spiritual exercise to make us feel more holy. Self-denial is the deal. It is the Christian life. Self-denial. It's a life saying no when we want to say yes. It's a life of humility when we want to be praised. It's a life pursuing delayed gratification when we want instant gratification. My joy, my timing, my terms. And saying no, I'll wait. Wait on whatever. It's saying no. But when every time you say no and you deny yourself, you're also saying yes. Because the no of the cross, bearing the cross, is saying yes, i.e. resurrection. Always, because it brings greater joy, even if it's delayed joy. It brings greater joy. I'm going to give some examples to be extremely practical with y'all. I want you to think about eating lunch at Burwell with someone on campus you're allergic to, who's in a corner of campus you're allergic to. You just can't even with that person. I want, to, I want us to unpack this for a second. What are you, you're saying no to things to do that. You're risking your reputation for what your clique thinks about that person. You're saying no to clickiness as a thing. And you're saying yes to treating everybody with dignity. You're saying with your actions, no clickiness, I don't care what my reputation is, and yes, that in the kingdom everybody matters. You're saying yes to that. Do you feel you're saying no, and that's a real risk? People might say something about you. Like, they, actually not might, they will say something about you at times. And y'all know that. But it's a risk worth taking. So, okay, no to getting drunk on the weekends, okay? I want to unpack this. No to getting drunk on the weekends is actually saying yes to loving your neighbors. You're saying no to say yes to love. Upperclassmen, students, if you call yourself a Christian, when you say no to getting drunk, you're loving a freshman guy. A freshman dude who doesn't know how to be a Christian in this place, and they're looking at you for guidance. When you say no to these habits, you're saying yes to loving your brother and yes to loving your sister. Do you feel that? No, it's going to feel like death. But the way that you're saying yes to loving your neighbor is resurrection life in you by the Spirit. It's actually the fruit of the very Spirit of Jesus that will bear fruit in you. Last thing, I know we're, we're naming some intense things, but we're just going to do 100, 100% honesty tonight. Not sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend is saying no right now and saying, I not just want to treat them, I want to say yes to treating them as an image bearer of God as my brother or sister, and I actually want to serve and love my future spouse right now, even though I haven't even met them yet. Do you see how saying no now and this is not just a, look, I'm, one thing in doing this section on saying no, I want to show my cards. 
I was like, I kind of hate this section because this, do y'all remember those ads, those um, dare ads in public schools that says, just say no. I hate the way that sounds. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say there's a death and resurrection of the Christian life. The Christian life will feel like death when we take risks for the sake of love, when we say no to our hearts and our minds and our longings for the sake of loving God and loving neighbor. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say the Christian life's a bunch of rule keeping saying no. Not it. Let's go to the next part. It's also not just denying ourselves, but taking up a cross. What does Jesus mean? We're not going to talk all about what a cross meant in the first century. That's a Good Friday sermon for another time. We're not going to do that. But for our purposes, I just want you to hear that it's bearing whatever is before you. Bearing a cross is to bear something that's weighty. Y'all are carrying all kinds of crap right now in your life. I know it. You tell me about it. And if you haven't, I know that you are because life is impossible. You're carrying stuff. It's just carrying the next thing. It's carrying the burdens of living in a fallen world. It means pursuing Jesus in your life, in the corners of your life, when it feels impossible. It means showing up. It means doing the next thing. It means writing the paper. It means visiting the sick family member when you don't want to. It means calling your mom or your dad when they keep like annoyingly checking in on you and you want some space and you call anyway. This is mundane. This is everyday and normal. But it's so beautiful. I hope that it, listing some of these things off, it's just like that. Like, you know people like this and it's a beautiful way of living. It means going to the next thing. It means forgiving a friend who... If you're seniors and juniors who hurt you freshman year and you've never gotten over it. It means going to therapy for the first time. It means going to therapy for the 125th session. Doing the next thing. Bearing a cross. Any version just about... Any version of, the, of Christianity that seems so polished and buttoned up, please run for the hills. I've told you all versions of that. Run for the hills. This is denying ourselves and taking up the cross. This is not easy. It is not easy. But it's beautiful. Okay. Some of y'all, again, are bearing heavy stuff right now. I just want to say to you, keep going. Keep going. Next thing I want to say is that you're not alone. Don't overlook a key part of this. Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to follow me, in other words, if anyone wants to ride with me, roll with me, I'm leading. You're not alone. I've done this myself. I know what I'm doing. You can trust me. You're not alone. Keep going. I want to say that. Others of y'all are really avoiding hard things in your life right now. And y'all know that. I know it in my life. We're avoiding hard stuff. And I want to encourage you guys in a couple of ways. I want you guys especially if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, try this out and see if it doesn't work. Be willing to be misunderstood for the sake of godliness. Be willing to be made fun of for the sake of godliness. If you have lunch with that guy or that girl and they're socially awkward as all get out, be willing to sit with whatever people say about you. Be willing. Guys, be willing to ask the girl out on a date instead of just texting around it. Ask her out. Do it. 
Girls, be willing to break up with the guy who's like, will not stop abusing you. End it. Stop. It's not for you. It's not for you. Be willing to do the hard things because it's worth it. And he's with you. You're not alone. Just go, go for it. Okay. Have y'all ever seen this movie called A League of Their Own? I love, I love this movie. Has anyone seen A League of Their Own with Tom Hanks? It's a story about uh, actually a female baseball team. It's a movie in the 90s, but it's set in the 1950s and 60s. And um, Tom Hanks is the coach, and he's this ex-alcoholic, washed-up baseball coach who was a pitcher. Tom Hanks, of course, in all of his glory, is unbelievable in the movie. And there's the star player, and her name is Dottie Henson. And Dottie Henson, at the end of the season, there's this crucial scene where Dottie has a husband and a baby, and she just wants to quit. It's like right before their World Series or an important playoff game, and they're in the driveway. And Coach, um, Coach Dugan, that's Coach, that's, um, I was going to say Coach Taylor, wrong coach, that's Friday Night Lights. Um, but Coach Dugan, this is Tom Hanks' character, he goes right for Dottie at her car. He's like, what are you doing? What are you packing up for? And she says, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm going back home. And they go back and forth for a little bit. And then this, was, this is what she says. And I just, she's so defeated when she says this. She's just like, coach, it just got too hard. It just got too hard. And he responds by saying, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. And the hard is what makes it great. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. And it's the hard that makes it great. I love the honesty of her. It it just got too hard. Gosh, I'm there once a week in marriage and parenthood and this job. It's too hard. And I love the response. He's trying to normalize the pain, normalize the hard to say, that's the point. That's the deal. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. It's supposed to be hard here. It's supposed to be. You're not alone in it. Everybody, we're just, as I've said, we're just walking around with barber jackets and smiles, acting like we are okay. Nobody's fine. You know we're not. I'm not, you're not. It's okay. Welcome to the club. It's supposed to be hard. Bearing a cross Denying ourselves is hard. Okay. Landing the plane, truly. It would be really easy to overlook this part in verse 31. And I just want you to see this. If we overlook this right now, it is not a Christian sermon. 31, he says that he's going to suffer many things. We alluded to this. Experience rejection by governing authorities and religious leaders and would be executed like an insect, killed like an animal, state-sponsored execution. No one lived, let me be very clear, no one lived a life of bearing a cross and self-denial like Jesus. Nobody did that. Spoiler alert, you can't do that. It's not my point. You're not going to do it. That's not the point. At the cross, Jesus literally said, like he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. He was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
it's getting too hard. It's getting too hard. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus gave up heavenly comfort, took on public displays of flogging, humiliation, mocking, torture. We could never imagine what he went through. And I want to ask why. A lot of reasons why. I just want to say love. Because he loves you. He did that because he loves you. Greater love, there's no love with, who, with a love that lays down his life for his friends. He loves you. There's a 61-year-old Australian shepherd, not the dog, but like a real Australian shepherd, a shepherd that lives in Australia. Thank you. I was really hoping to get laughs on that one. Okay, great. So here, he ran this... He ran this, um, this race as a 61-year-old, 500 miles, true story, 500 miles over six days, and 61, Australian Shepherd, 500 miles, just set that sink in. He ran through the night when everyone else was sleeping, and he, ran the, he won the race. He won the race because he was running when everyone else was sleeping. He wins, he gets up. And he was interviewed about what, on the, what in the world just happened. How did you do it? Here's his response. Vo- remember, vocation is shepherd. Just keep that in mind. I tricked myself into believing and imagining when I was running that my sheep were running away from me into the darkness and I had to run after them to catch them. Come on. That's like a good Christ our shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. But it's like, we have to talk about that tonight. I mean, look, I want you to think, what does the Bible talk about? Remember, remember this, the sinful inclinations of our hearts and our minds that we talked about denying. The Bible calls that the flesh. The Bible also describes the human condition and human beings as sheep without a shepherd, prone to wander away from a shepherd. And God says in the personal work of Jesus Christ, I'm coming after you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm doing the cross and resurrection for love to go into all of the depths of your darkness and sin and shame to rescue you. That's why he did it. And so as we talk about denying ourselves, as we talk about taking up our cross and our obedience, it never can be elevated above Jesus's cross. That's not the point. That's not Christianity. Your obedience flows from Jesus' cross, which alone secures your salvation. Your cross doesn't contribute anything to your salvation. Your cross, you're denying yourself, is you're saying with your life, thank you. It's gratitude. You denying yourself and saying no and bearing your cross at Wofford College is gratitude now. You're not trying to earn anything. We'll come back to that over and over and over again because driven people like you and me, as soon as you just tell us to do stuff, we get our planners out and our spiritual resumes out and we're like, ooh, that looks nice. And before you know it, we don't need the cross anymore. And what we're doing is elevated above Jesus and his obedience, his law keeping, his cross, his resurrection for us. That's the center of Christianity, not ours. You're just saying as you grind this out with Jesus and follow him and say no and experience death so you experience resurrection, Thank you. It's gratitude now. And as I just said, every death, there's resurrection. There's always a promise. 
So it might be painful now, and it is. It is for me, and it's worth it. And he will keep his word and walk with us and finish what he started. Let me, let me pray for us.